I want to start off with a question. What is the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of resound? Okay, that's good. Okay. Awesome. Well, I don't need to preach anymore. <laughs> yeah, um, and those are good answers because that's what I'm kind of going to get to today. Um, what about of the church in general, kind of the church? Good. Good. Open. Good. Those are all excellent answers. And I think they're answers that have been brought into our heart. Sometimes I think, and I'm not accusing anybody, but sometimes I think that they're the right answer. Right? They're what we want church to be, but maybe don't always find it that way. They're what church should be, absolutely, and that's what I'm going to be talking about today. Um, but the truth is that sometimes church isn't really those things. And for some people, it's not really those things. And some of the people who answered this morning, in fact, I would almost say most of them, but not all of them, can say those things because you've been with each other for such a long time that those things have developed into who you are. But it's taking a very, taking a very long time to build those things because church, for somebody who's just walking in, can feel sometimes very sterile or sometimes very forced or sometimes very uh, institutional. And that's I'm going to contrast the idea of family or community versus institution this morning. So what's God's intent? And I think based on our answers, we know what that is. Is, is God's intent for the church to be an organism or an organization? Is it supposed to be a body, a family, a community, or an institution? And I think that's something that, especially in modern Western Christianity, I think that's a struggle that, that the church faces across the board. And you see it in the news if you read uh, Christian blogs and forums and things like that. What's happening in the church, what's happening with the church, what people outside the church feel the church might be more than maybe what we recognize it's supposed to be. So, so Resound, our church, like any other church, I think, in the West, has elements of both. Now, maybe it's my role, but sometimes the thing that stands up to me even more is the institutional side because I see the stuff that goes on behind the background. And, and maybe because my nature is relational, I struggle with that stuff more. Some of the things that make us institutional are because we're a registered charity. So we have things placed on us by the Charity Commission that we have to pay attention to. Um, because we're a larger group, there are things that um, we need to look at institutionally. Policies, governance, 
those kind of things. And yet, I just always can't help but going back to the fact that I think God wants something more from us. Some of the things that can detract from us being a family or more of a family that are part of the institutional nature of Resound. Things like the fact that we can't share a hot meal together unless someone who is food hygiene certified comes along to cook. <laughs> um, early on, something that caught me unaware because it's very different in the States is that, that um, and when Aaron was really struggling early on, um, I found out that I couldn't even have Mike or Emily, even if they were close family friends, contact Aaron by phone and have a chat with him just to see how he's doing. And part of, part of me just said, well, what if we're family? What if we're close? What if we're, what if we're family? But we have safeguarding policies, and safeguarding policies are important. I went on along with the soup run, and the, we, we don't organize the soup run, but we're uh, a partner with them, and I think the soup run's an amazing thing. But one of the things that I noticed when I went along is that the soup run is set up to run very efficiently so that you can dole out as much soup, sandwiches, and coffee as possible with very little time to actually engage in relationship with the guys and ladies who are on the street. It's run efficiently. And something about all that speaks to me of institution more than family, more than community, more than a body. Sometimes, I think some of them would, but some of them probably would quite cherish being thought of as human and having conversation. I wonder what it would be like if we had time to go set up a bunch of tables and then sit down with them and have a meal. Yes. Fantastic. And I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying that there are things that we set up to make things more efficient that can detract from relationship. Uh, what John Bird shared this morning was actually kind of hit home to me, and I, I didn't have it in, in my notes, but I quickly jotted it down in my notes. The institution, the idea of institution, can sometimes even press me, because I'm a pastor, into portraying an image that's not always true of me. Who wants a pastor who struggles with depression? Or doubts? I sometimes give a Sunday morning smile when I'm actually feeling grumpy or down. Right? I think we, exactly, I think we do. And I think that that's something that the institution creates. I think there's something expectations create. Whereas in a family, take it from me and watching my kids bickering and fighting <laughs> and yelling at each other and slamming doors is a very frequent occurrence. <laughs> um, G.K. Chesterton, speaking on government, which is the ultimate institution, said, the only crime of government is that it governs. The unpardonable sin of the supreme power is that it's supreme. I do not curse you for being cruel. I do not curse you, though I might, for being kind. I curse you for being safe. I thought that was a really interesting thing because I think that that gets to the nature 
of why institution can become such a heavy thing to us when really we're meant to be a community or a family. We play it safe, and we need to play it safe sometimes. And yet I recognize that also the converse is true. James Madison, who was the fourth president of the United States, said if men were angels, no government would be necessary. So there's a balance there, isn't it? We need government. We need governance because if we didn't, <laughs> all hell would break loose. So I completely understand. But I'm just trying to contrast so that you can see how sometimes institution, by its very nature, can set out itself against being family. So again, what was God's intent? I just want to look at a history. So looking even back to God himself, God is a trinity. Trinity is relational, ultimately relational. There's no hierarchy in the trinity except where Jesus, when Jesus was incarnate. He then submitted himself to the Father because he laid aside his um, divine attributes and became a human. But in the Trinity itself, they are all fully relational. They are a family, as it were. And then man, or creation. God, when God created things, he, he made simple living things that were to multiply in family relationships. Man, in the garden, God only set out one policy not to eat from the knowledge of good and evil. Have you ever thought what that means beyond that it was just an apple and brought sin? Knowledge of good and evil. You don't need to concern yourself with what's right and wrong, and especially you don't need to concern yourself with whether someone else is right and wrong. That's God's role. You're simply to be, to be a family, to create more families, multiply, fill the earth, and to walk with God as a family. In the garden, God expanded his community from the Trinity to include us. And then there was Israel. First, Israel was started as a family. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we often hear. Then from there, from families came clans. And clans were always based on family lines. The tribe of Judah, the tribe of Benjamin, even the Levites who were the priests were based on family relationship. And then at Sinai, we see really the first battle, I think, between community and institution. Because God doesn't create institutions. He creates families and communities and people. But as man, we can't help but create institutions. And I think part of the reason is because Institution takes less effort than family. It's safer, as G.K. Chesterton put it. It's part of it's for self-protection because we probably deep down inside simply don't trust God or trust one another or trust ourselves to do what's best. I don't think it was God's, ever God's intention to give all the law that he gave. I think when we look at it uh, when God called Moses to bring the people, he said that you will all come up on top of the mountain and worship me. And then when they got there, God said that you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. When they got there, they planted their feet and they said, actually, no, Moses, we don't want to go up the mountain and worship God. 
we don't want to be a kingdom of priests. We want you to go meet with God for us. We don't want to be a kingdom of priests. We want to be a kingdom with priests. And God acquiesced and gave them all these laws about how to do religion and how to do life and how to, to care for one another. I think God's initial intention was that there would be a community that demonstrated what it was like to actually be in intimate relationship with God, led by him intimately rather than through a bunch of laws, who loved one another. And for a whole millennia and a half until Jesus came, that's what the people did. They, they, they were structured by these laws. In fact, it was God gave them 613 laws in the Torah, and that wasn't even enough because then the theologians and the, the priests began to actually try to define even what each of those laws meant. So, for example, God said, don't work on the Sabbath. Well, we needed to know what work was. So we're going to actually narrow it down. So what is work? Well, you can pull a donkey out of a hole, but you can't heal a person. You can walk because walking is necessary, but how far can you walk? Can you walk a mile or would that be considered work or half a mile or less? So we started even more deeply institutionalizing the things that God gave us. But then Jesus came and he came to reorient us. By the way, reorient, reorient is literally what repent means. Change directions. And he reoriented us away from institution and back to family and relationship. He always referred to God as his and our father. Not as a religious deity, but as family. He brought the 613 Jewish laws back down to relationship. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And by the way, that includes your enemy. He said, all the law and all the prophets hang on these two things. Everything else is just relationship institutionalized. He taught us again how to be a family, a community, and more. How, can we, how we can welcome others into that family. We're not just meant to be a people of, a, of the kingdom, but we're meant to be a kingdom of priests. And priest literally means a bridge between God and others. We're not only to be a community, we're to be a missional community. We're not only to be a family, we're to be a family that shows hospitality. The biblical understanding of hospitality has very little to do with our modern understanding of making a nice meal and nicely set table to invite our friends over. Literally, the word hospitality means to welcome strangers and foreigners. And this is where I want to steal um, the title of Mike's message, Extend the Table. When he said that, I thought, I want that. <laughs> we need to extend the table. We need to be a family who welcomes people. So how can Resound, with its somewhat nece necessary institutional structure, be more community? It's not that we do away with the structures because we need those. We're a larger group. There are things that we need to do. We can't do away with safeguarding. We can't do away with um, requirements of the Charity Commission, things 
to keep us safe in the you know, food hygiene. We don't want to poison each other. But how can we be more family, more community, and more missional? And I think the answer is in small groups. Larger groups, are, larger groups require more institution to be safe, to be run well, to be efficient. But smaller groups, by their nature, can be more like family. It's also where host- true hospitality can take place, in which we can welcome strangers and make them truly noticed and cared for. So I've shared this before, but as I've spoken with people out on the streets and in cafes, um, I ask them, uh, particularly non-Christians, non-believers, what, what for you would be um, important in a church or a spiritual gathering? And the answer is consistently had these three aspects. Small enough to be a real community, eating together, and a place where teaching is discussion-based with room for doubts and questions rather than everything being taught by one person up front. Literally almost every single person I've ever talked to on the streets and in cafes has said those things. That's difficult to do here, but it's very easy to do in a small group, to have a place where you can welcome people. You can even share a meal together if that's what you want. You can have discussion based around the table where everyone is free to ask questions, to share doubts. Can we have a, a safe place where people don't always agree with our understanding of what things are? And maybe they'll come to agree, or maybe we'll learn something from them. And this thinking reminds me of how the church was in the beginning. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 on says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to breaking bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property, possessions to give to anyone in in need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. That's a very different picture than coming together once on a Sunday to get a teaching and to have some worship, and maybe once during the week, or actually more often fortnightly, because most of our small groups are fortnightly. I think in our busy lives, meeting every day would be very difficult, but it's, it points to something that they saw that we, I think, have moved away from, and that's this idea of being together, sharing everything in common, having meals together, being a family. The world, and what I'm hearing from the people out there, are hungry for real community. And I think that real community is where we can really demonstrate Rizan's vision of, of loving and empowering individuals, also of loving and impacting the city and loving and actively caring for the world. In fact, a lot of the people that I see, that I meet, like crazy vegan cafes and stuff like that are, are gathered together in a community. Most of them have community together and, and, and they're actively caring for individuals on the streets and for one another. 
and they're trying to live sustainable lives that care for the planet and stuff like that. Sometimes I see the, more of that in them than I see in the church, which is God's people. And that's not, that's not a harsh criticism. It's just something I want to call us up. I want to challenge us. Um, so Brian King shared with me a while ago what he thought of small group, and I've asked if he'd be willing to come and share a little bit. He sat himself dead in the middle of a row so we'd have trouble getting out. But <clears throat> Brian's fairly new to our church and part of our small group, and he just shared a bit. So. Okay. Um, I had this all written down on my phone, but unfortunately in the attempt to get out of the house on time this morning, this morning left that at home, so it's going to be a bit ad hoc. So um, I found that it was very important that... Um, Community and fellowship was important in a church, but more important was um, invitation. Um, so when I first came here, um, Kath invited me, my wife, to, um, to later on a Friday evening. And I arrived here, and in my normal um, act, beelined for the quietest table in the darkest part of the room, to avoid any contact with anybody and just went there. But unfortunately, Richard and Sarah <laughs> beelined for that table too and they came and sat with us and um, spoke to us and welcomed us there and invited uh, me to church on Sunday, which I said, yep, that sounds lovely, I'll be there. And since then, it's grown and I got another invitation to home group and... Um, just going to the home group really cemented the building blocks that this place gives me. And I just feel so welcome there. I'm able to um, share the good times, the bad times, all in the presence of God. And yeah, it's just been so much easier for me to adjust to that type of community than to speak in front of everybody here tonight, today. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, all I just want to say is um, small groups do make a big difference. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. We've, we've really loved having Brian and, and Kath and um, everyone in our small group. I think it's just been so, for me, it's been um, life-giving as well. And, and because, again, my role puts me in touch with so much of the institution. Our small group has almost zero institution. <laughs> we don't do a study, typically. We don't do anything kind of by schedule except for a meal, and we share life with each other. And sometimes we share um, painful things, and sometimes we share rejoicing things. Sometimes it's explicitly spiritual, and sometimes it's not explicitly spiritual, but God is always there. And for me, that's been life-giving. Um, and I think it has been for most of the people in our group. So um, small groups are important. And I think if we want to maintain our priority as family and community and hospitality and mission, then small groups need to be a priority in Resound. Um, it's an expression of Resound's life. Uh, our small groups should be set up to prioritize community and relationship. Sometimes even, I would say this, even above teaching and Bible study, although those things are, are important and should and can be an aspect of it, 
But there needs to, we need to have a place where people feel that they can be open about life, about their struggles, about victories, about doubts and questions. And so if we're, if we're intent to do a Bible study and we're just intent to get through the study and have the pat answers, then that's probably not enough. If we're intent to do a Bible study and yet make room for people to express wonder and questions or doubts or bring other perspectives to those things, then that can build life. They should be places where we feel comfortable bringing a non-Christian because that's the hospitality that we need to bring. And it means that, that when we do have a Bible study, that even somebody who doesn't believe the way we do can express themselves and feel like they're welcome and part of it. Um, it's really important. So when we look at small groups, we did, as, as a leadership team, we don't want to place a lot of institutional expectations on small groups. We, we want to allow you to develop your small groups to grow organically based on who you are as a, as a group. Um, sometimes that will come somewhat from the person who's hosting because they're hosting, um, but it should always be open and developed as a group, as a whole, and as new people come in, being open to the things that they can bring and express and share. So we don't put a lot of expectation on what our small groups do and, and teach or say or whatever, because we want them to be open, to be organic and to grow. So a small group can be almost anything that allows for deeper relationship and growth. We need more small groups, which means we need more hosts and facilitators. We've got a couple more starting, which is great. And sometimes that idea is, is scary to people because they think, oh, I've got to lead a, a small group. And, and, and what, I'm, what I'm saying to you is host it, be yourself. It's not hard for us to be ourselves. Just do what comes natural to you. Have people around for a cup. If you can't do a meal, have people around for a cup of tea and some biscuits and just to sh chat and share. You don't even necessarily have to put together any kind of structure or teaching or anything like that. If that's something that comes from your heart, great. Again, that's organic. That comes out of you. So because it can be almost anything, we welcome anybody who wants to have people around. And they can be of any size as well. I think 12, 13 is probably the maximum because that's, uh, statistically speaking, about the maximum amount of people you can have in an intimate setting. But I know some people who they just to get together with a couple of friends for prayer and a chat. And that's good too. So... Let me just close by saying, if you would be interested in hosting a small group or if you would be interested in joining a small group, definitely feel free to have a chat with me um, either after the service or we can connect some either over email or having a coffee. Um, I'd love to chat with you. I think that, that we can grow as a spiritual community, as a family, as our, as our small groups take a priority, not 
in lessening what we do here on a Sunday morning, because this is important too, the celebration that we get together as a whole is really important. But this isn't church. Church is the family of God, and we can only be a family as we have an open space to, to share our thoughts, our hearts, our struggles, our victories. Amen?